apparently, according to at least PA zoning, they cannot tell you no to anywhere. So you're best if you're interested in tiny homes to go and say, this is what I want to do. Where can I put it? And they can't tell you just, no, you can't do it. Zoning is required to find a way to put your type of housing somewhere. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 34. My guest today is Abby Hobson of Tiny Estates. Abby has cracked the code for creating tiny house communities, and the model that she's come up with is really brilliant. It combines nightly rentals with full-time residents. She even allows people to build a tiny house and then have it rented, managed, and maintained at tiny estates. Even if you've never planned on starting a tiny house community of your own, I think you should listen to Abby's strategy for approaching zoning to make tiny houses a win-win for her and her town. Too many people think of putting a tiny house as an adversarial relationship with their local governments. And if Abby is any example, she shows us that it's definitely possible to work with your local zoning administrators to make tiny house living a possibility. Before we get to the interview, it's time for another listener shout out. This week, we have a review left in Apple Podcasts from Sarah BG. Sarah says, the host asks really good questions of the varied and insightful guests he has on the podcast. All in all, a useful and entertaining tool for people interested in a tiny house journey. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This week is Thanksgiving here in the States, and by the time you've heard this, it's probably past Thanksgiving. I celebrated here in Vermont with over 20 family members and friends, and no, it wasn't at the tiny house. Wherever you are and whether or not you celebrate, I just want to say thank you for listening. I am truly grateful that I get to wake up every morning and be a part of this exciting tiny house movement. And if you like the show, please consider leaving us a review in the Apple Podcasts app. Your reviews help others find the show, and I really appreciate the support and encouragement. Plus, you never know, I may just give you a listener shout out here on the show. All right, my guest is Abby Hobson. Abby is the founder and CEO of Tiny Estates, the world's largest solely tiny house on wheels community. Abby, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ethan. It's a pleasure to be here. You're very welcome. So I was hoping we could start with your story. Uh, How did you get interested in tiny houses? And then what led you to starting this tiny house community? Sure. So my story is a little bit different in the sense that I'm from the East Coast, born and raised in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Um, I was working corporate America and hated the hustle and bustle that corporate America means. And so I decided to move home to help run several family businesses. And I had seen like a lot of people, the HGTV shows with tiny houses, um, saw the hype and the movement getting started probably about three years ago now. And so I decided to start building a tiny house, um, went to a jamboree in Colorado and saw different builders, saw Volstruck frames doing aluminum frames and thought, you know, everybody talks about the weight. Why don't I have one shipped to Lancaster and, and build one? And as I started doing that, as soon as the frame was up, I found I was in trouble with zoning like a lot of people do with tiny houses. So that started the whole process of, you know, what I thought was going to be a fun little side project, build one to Airbnb um, on a property that I owned became a a process of trying to find land where I could put a lot of tiny houses and change zoning so that we would have a boilerplate 
for how to make communities and how to make plots of land work for tiny houses across the country, hopefully, is the goal. Nice. So basically, you you started this as a personal project, and then it quickly swelled into, we need to change the laws and make this possible. Yes, definitely. So everybody says it's a zoning issue, and I came to found it's actually more of a code issue, at least in our area, that because the house isn't built to any specific code, they have trouble figuring out where it can go because no zoning allows for something that doesn't meet code. And if you're going to build your house in Colorado and then drive it to PA, how can they ensure you know code state to state since a lot of the houses are on wheels as well? So it wasn't just a square footage issue, but a building standard. And so we hope to be a showcase for a lot of builders and people building their own as well to show the quality that tiny homes can be built to. Um, to build a whole business around it, not just the one that I started out with. But that one now is a rental on our site as well, which is always fun. Nice. So did you go the route of, you know, trying to fit in with the residential code or are they more in the RV code direction? So we did a a little bit of everything and got a lot of no's. And ultimately we found a project um, plot of land that was I guess I would say a a project for the township. So we made it a win-win in the sense that the land needed cleaned up. It was zoned as a campground, but it was functioning more like a mobile home park. And so in approaching them with the tiny houses, we were able to say, well, we'll have some full-timers kind of like the mobile home park, but mostly nightly rentals for people to try out and experience tiny house living, which is more transient the way a campground should be. So we fall a little bit under both the permanent residency side and the RV temporary side. Um, but we don't specifically have to meet any certain code. We just register our titles and whatnot with the township. Cool. So did you have a background in, in real estate or, or you know, architecture or development before this? Prior to this, I was working in forensic investigations, so white-collar crime. Basically, I would um, catch people laundering money or stealing bribery, corruption, that kind of thing. Um, and it's a lot of fun, just a lot of travel and a lot of uncertainty day to day. And you can't investigate in whatever city you live in. So that gets old very quickly. It's something that sort of turns and burns employees. Um, so I have the accounting side to run sort of the logistics and the accounting of the business, but the tiny house movement per se being so new, it was definitely hard to get a handle on what people would want to see and, you know, introduce myself to different builders and styles and try and learn a lot about you know, simple things like how to winterize them, how to prevent ants have been a huge thing. You know, all your piping is exposed. So critters and bugs and all that good stuff has definitely been something I was not previously doing. Hospitality has definitely been a learning experience. Wow. So you've already uh, hinted at it a little bit, but could you explain kind of the vision for Tiny Estates and, and how it works with, you know, some nightly rentals and some full-time residents? Sure. So Our goal with the property, right now we call it glamping, glamour camping. Um, It's a lot more, I guess I would say, of an escape. You go and it's very quiet and pristine. It sits within residential developments, so it feels a lot like a neighborhood with little tiny houses in it. And we have two ponds on the property, so you can sort of escape to your unique tiny house. We currently have 25. Um, We're getting several more this week, so somewhere around 27 by the end of the week. Um, So... You try different houses, different styles, everything from a 12-foot to a 39-foot at this point, all within 400 square feet and all currently on wheels. But the eventual goal for Tiny Estates is to make it more like a resort. So it'll actually have a space where you could have a family reunion or corporate events, a wedding, and then everyone could stay in the houses. So that'll be built come this March. 
um, assuming that the winter goes as planned with winterizing. And then it'll be, you know, a lot of paved roads and community spaces. Right now we have hot tubs for people to use and yard games, propane pits, but we want to make sure that there's a pool and make it more of a retreat for people to get away to, that they everything is sort of inclusive within the property, but that we can also show zoning for different things. So a lot of people bring up container tiny homes or tree houses. We want to do a little bit of everything. We have 14 acres, so we have the space to do that. Um, and the hope is to be able to show a lot of different styles, whether they're mobile or not, all within that 400 square feet or less so that we have a boilerplate that if somebody comes and says, you know, I want to build one and take it somewhere, we can help them with financing, with zoning, with, you know, having a builder that has done something like that before and really pair them with everything that they may need to make that happen. So do you do you see yourself getting into actually building tiny houses for people? That is the hope. So we've learned so much that I think we found with a lot of builders, they haven't had repeat customers. Most people who have proceeded with the tiny house movement built one and they moved it a few states over and they live in it and there's really no need for feedback or learning or tweaking. And so we're finding a lot with having so many now and working with so many builders of ways we'd like to build them. And even just recently pulling off an event for Kevin Hart, having a house that's typically on the grid, but for something where we need to take it away, it's off grid for, you know, a day or two. So building it so that it could be either and that you could, you know, travel to visit family, but come back to a permanent site later. So we would love to, when we build the building in March, have a space there that we can build tiny homes for people if they're interested. And if nothing else, build for our investors as we do an investor model on our site now that we could build their homes. So you mentioned you're going to have 27 tiny houses by the by the end of the week? Yes. So right now we have 25. Now two of them are shells that we sort of use to show people what it's like before it's finished. One is my office space and it allows people to sort of stand in an empty space and dream and picture what if the sofa was here, what if the kitchen was there. Um, and then one that we're hoping to finish out here through the winter. But we don't want to grow too quickly, but we are approved to do over 100 tiny houses on our plot. Wow. So are you buying these tiny houses, leasing these tiny houses? Initially, when we opened, we designed and built uh, 15 homes for our opening in April. So we settled on the property in January, had 15 for our April opening. And then from there, we've done a lot of investor homes. So with a lot of people having zoning issues, we found that people will build the tiny homes as an in-laws quarters for their backyard or to live in themselves and decide to move or get in trouble with zoning. And so they can actually bring the home to our site and we will lease it, rent, you know, rent it out, maintain it for them. It functions just like our rental units, but then it's very hands-off as an investment for them and they get a portion of the revenues. So they don't have to worry about, you know, Airbnb fees and software fees and cleaning and managing all that. So some people have said, you know, I couldn't live in a tiny house, but I believe in the movement. I think it's cool. It's a fun getaway. And so they just want to build one specifically for our plot. And in other cases, we've had people that said, you know, I got in trouble with zoning or I decided to move and they've brought them. And that's helped us expand quicker without having the capital outlay to build 100 right away and to get different homes from different places. Seems like you've really thought through the business plan, which I think is something that a lot of times we miss in the tiny house movement because a lot of us come to this movement with no building skills. We're going to do it ourselves. Yeah. Or if we want to, you know, have a community, we don't necessarily know how to think through those pieces, the financial pieces, the the projections, the investors and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's fantastic that you're that you're doing it. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I spent the last, 
about three years now visiting every tiny house community that existed at the time, as well as all the top campgrounds, knowing that that was how we were looking to to get started and trying to learn best practices. So learning from people who had done it like We Casa or Caravan and the places people have heard of, how they did it, why they did it, how it works. And and it's amazing how open the people in the tiny house movement are to share and willing to, you know, I get people all the time stopping and saying, this is great, I'm gonna steal your idea. And it's like, awesome, what can I give you to make that happen? Because everyone wants to see more of this in, in more places around the world. Yeah, and that's, I mean, as somebody who educates about tiny houses, that is about the most common question I get. Where can I park it legally or where is the nearest tiny house community near me? Because I want to live in community. Yeah, and so just six months in, we're already full on our full-timer spots, which is a great place to be, but it hurts when people come and say, this is great, I just found you, Yeah, I want to live here, what do I do? It's nice to be able to say, you know, you might not be able to live here right now, but we can find somewhere else for you. I'm happy to work with you on zoning and not see that, you know, excitement crushed when they when they find that out. So do you have plans to expand locally and do more, create more full-time spaces? So our plot of land actually came to be because about 15 years ago, they ran a road for the community through the center of the campground. So the other half of the campground is on the other side of the road. And in an ideal world, the developer who sold us our half would sell us that other half. He's using it as an easement to get to the development he's building near that. And so right now it's not really in discussions, but that would be you know, a wonderful spot to be able to expand our current site very easily since it is grandfathered into the same zoning that we have. But we are definitely looking and talking to other people about, you know, other places, other communities around the country. My tiny house is is parked on some land that I rent in Morristown, Vermont. Okay. And um, Vermont's unique because a lot of the more rural towns don't enforce code at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to meet zoning. Uh, like, you know, our our small town doesn't have the resources to enforce building code. Um, but they actually recently passed a tiny house friendly zoning ordinance that allows any single family plot to put two houses, 400 square feet or less, in addition to the single family home. Okay. And I went to these zoning hearings and there were a couple people who came and basically were objecting to it because they thought that tiny houses were going to bring homeless people and, and vagrants to the community. And it was shocking you know, I, and it was really just a matter of educating them. But I'm curious, did you face any resistance in your community when you when you wanted to do this? You know, that's been interesting that you say that. We've had a lot of people call, and when they find that it's not as easy as they thought, they think, you know, the government's trying to stop affordable housing or the opposite, that people are opposed to it because they think it is. And it's interesting that that's how people have taken it to be. In our case, I made sure to have everything secured and in writing for zoning reasons before we ever released anything about what we were doing and before we settled on the property. So because we were cleaning this property up, we didn't really have any neighbors who were opposed in their minds. It was kind of like it couldn't get any worse, but they also couldn't oppose it. So by the time we took over and we started moving, there wasn't that lapse of time for them to try and stop us. It was kind of like we were already up and running three months later before they could complain, and then they were able to see exactly what we wanted, and there wasn't so much to contest then. So I think that is part of the problem. People don't quite understand what the movement is or what we're trying to achieve, and because it was all in my head, I wanted to make sure we were open and we could show them what the tiny houses were so that they weren't opposed. But at this point, every single neighbor is 
you know, our biggest fan. They love us. They take pictures of the guests on weekends and text us about how much fun everyone's having. And it's kind of funny when you have guests come, the neighbors will say, oh, this was a great weekend. I made so many friends. You know, they go to visit people who have come to stay. We've actually had neighbors stay with us just as a getaway from their house right across the street. So That's awesome. It's very fun, you know, and then when they have people come to visit, they have someone who can stay pretty much in their backyard, which is a lot of fun for them. To answer people's questions, you know, and I'm sure you get the question a lot, like, how do I start this? How do I do this locally? What is your, I know it's it's very complicated and we could probably spend way more than this podcast interview talking about, you know, how to do what you do, but what advice do you give people who want to start some kind of tiny house community where they live? So recently we did a webinar with our local PA, all of our state PA commissioners and zoning officers and sat down for an hour and said, okay, this is mandatory. Let's spend the hour saying, what are your objections to tiny houses? What can we do to quell those concerns? And it seems that the first issue is no one ever wants to actually like make the wheel. They're okay to reinvent it. They're okay to take someone else's zoning and, and rework it to suit your needs, but they don't want to start from scratch. So we hope that with what we've done, if someone's interested in doing something similar, we can use that to say, okay, here's what we did. Here's the zoning we have. Let's tweak that for your needs. And then the second thing would be that apparently, according to at least PA zoning, they cannot tell you no to anywhere. So you're best if you're interested in tiny homes to go and say, this is what I want to do. Where can I put it? And they can't tell you just, no, you can't do it. Zoning is required to find a way to put your type of housing somewhere. So if you're set on living in Lancaster County and you say, I want to live in a tiny house, they have to tell you, look for this zoning or let's tweak this to fit it there. They can't just say, no, you can't live here like that. Um, So I was never really aware that they had to work with you. So I think it's more of an open discussion of, how can I make this work and working with your zoning officers to find somewhere you could put your tiny house? Because I do think they are willing to work with you. They just need someone who's not going to come in, you know, guns blazing, angry that that's what they want to do and you have to let them, but it's more an open line of communication and then they're willing to, to figure it out. Right. It seems like it's a much better thing to go to the zoning first, build that relationship rather than just do it without asking permission and then get caught and say, okay, well, you have to make this okay for me. Right. And everybody says it's easier to ask for forgiveness. In this case, it's not worth the risk because then where do you go if they, you know, say no? And we have one township. If you're caught with a tiny house, it's actually where my home is. It's a $5,000 fine every month. Most people can't pay that. So they could say, sure, you can stay there, but fine you to the point that you can't afford it and you have to move. So you're better to talk to them beforehand and make sure you build to the standards they need. I mean, things like NOAA exist that you can build your house and have your electrical and your plumbing certified as you go through the process so that they at least have certainty if you are a DIY or doing the house yourself, that it was done correctly and that they're not liable for code reasons. If something went wrong, it was inspected. So there are ways prior that you can build to meet their concerns, it's a lot harder to do once it's up and done. And they say, well, how do I know it's safe? If you built it yourself, you're not going to want to tear out your walls to show them that it was done right. So you're better to talk beforehand. Got it. And are you doing that? Are you getting your houses certified through NOAA or Buildsworth or one of those certification companies? 
we do have some homes that are NOAA certified. They are not all certified by NOAA. Um, some are RVIA. They're all a little different. So in our case, the township's okay is if they function more like RVs where they just have a title. So they don't have to be RV certified, but the title, because it's a campground, I mean, if you were to pull into a standard campground with a standard camper, they don't say who certified and built your camper. They just want your VIN number for your registration. So that's pretty much how we function with our homes um, for for the ones that are on wheels specifically. Um, I'm curious about the land that you're on. You mentioned that it was developed as a campground. Does that mean that all the power to all those all the sites had already been run, or, or how much how much infrastructure work did you have to do before you started bringing in tiny houses? So we bought the property in January, and nothing had been permitted since 1974. So the township, as well as the gentleman selling it to us, which was a developer, had no idea what existed as far as infrastructure. Um, we could tell from some walkthroughs that it seemed most things were 30 amps, but a lot of electrical wasn't run correctly. We actually had feces in the well water we found after settling. So there was a lot we didn't expect. Um, we knew everything for the tiny house sites was what had formerly been campground sites, and they were all off-grid. So our, our property is unique because it has a fiber optic line that runs through the center of the campground. And not the good kind of fiber optic where you have high-speed cable. It's the kind of fiber optic that apparently connects Chicago to New York and New York to L.A. that if you hit is considered an act of terrorism. Oh, boy. So you can't dig, you know, you have to hand dig around it, and it's all kinds of permits and easements and all that good stuff. So the entrance of our property used to have a house and a barn on it, and that's where our office now sits and where the building will sit. That is all serviced by public utilities, but those public utilities can't easily cross to the site where the sites are. So those sites were all serviced by private water, sewer, electric. Um, we now have public electric as well as public water. The sewer is still on lot, but basically each tiny house site has a pedestal like you'd have at a campground. Most of them are 30 amp, although some we've increased the transformer so we can have 50 amp. Um, and then they, they all flow septic wise down the hill and pump up to an on-lot septic. Okay. Are there sites that are just kind of like an empty campsite where somebody who's traveling, say, in a school bus or a van or a tiny house on wheels could come and stay there? Yeah. So right now we're registered as a campground, and part of what Pennsylvania's Campground Association requires is that we have several that are constantly vacant. So eventually as we expand, all the sites will be full other than probably those two that they require. So we can still take transient tiny house movers. But right now, because we only have 25 of the hundred that we're able to do, we have plenty of sites as people want to come and go. And we've had people like tiny house expedition come and park in a site and connect to one of the pedestals to be there for a week or two. Nice. So in your video, uh, so I, I found out about you through Alexis and Christian uh, Tiny House Expedition. They did a great video about you and about your community. Um, you mentioned that you want to expand this model to other places in the country. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, do you have do you have your sights set on anywhere for what's next? So we've had some discussions with people who have plots of land who would love to do this and sort of franchise the idea and, and the learning that I've I've come to, you know, all the things I've come to find even just in software and hospitality and, and the building of tiny homes. But um, I wouldn't say there's anywhere I'm dead set on. I would love to have the next property be somewhere that has two reasons to come year round. So we're not sure how the winter will go at our site being that we're huge for wedding venues. So we know we already have a lot of bookings for people doing winter weddings. 
But other than that, there's not a huge draw to the Hershey Park or Elizabethtown area in the winter. It's just so cold. So we have a feeling January, February will be a bit slower. Okay. Um, I would love to do something like Charleston, South Carolina that has a college and is warm most of the time or Lake George that has the lake and then skiing in the winter that brings people for two different reasons. Right. To get that constant year round. But people like Wecasa have been doing this in a population with 1,800 people and and fully booked year round. So I think the tiny houses have their own draw just because they are few and far between. But as this becomes a more widely known concept, um, we would love to do it somewhere where people are drawn to go anyways. And the tiny houses are sort of an exciting new experience while already doing something else. Yeah, like an added they're so novel and like people just want to stay in them. So if they're already coming to the area for, for other tourism reasons, it, it seems like it's a kind of a home run. Exactly. I mean, we've had people from Ireland, Scotland, I mean, all over the world, Russia, which is awesome. It, I, I don't know how they find us or what brings them to the area most of the time, but a lot of them have said it's just because they were coming to the East coast and it was the only place to go see tiny houses. So it's very cool to have that, but we want to make sure that there's something for them to do in the meantime as well. Of course. Yeah. And I hadn't even thought of that. You probably just get people who just come for the tiny houses. They're not traveling to that area for any other reason than to stay in the tiny houses. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, Siesta Key is in Florida, which is not close to us, but it's on the East Coast as well. And they actually build their tiny homes, from what I've been told, in Lancaster County and drive them to Florida. So a lot of people have found that with the Amish and the quality of building that the Amish are known for, Lancaster is a great place to come and not only stay in them, but then talk to builders about building a quality home for them to take somewhere else. Right. And are you having them all built locally in Lancaster? They are not. We've had them from all over. So Liberation is out of Leola, PA, and they've built um, they built six for our opening in April, but they've also built several of our full-timer homes and several of our investor homes. So we have about 10 of their houses actually right now. But we do use other builders, Indiana, South Carolina, Rough Cut, Blue Sky Tiny Homes, and and several um, investor homes that were actually built by individuals that are looking to get into the business as well. Nice, nice. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is uh, what are two or three resources? So like books, YouTube channels, videos, things, things that have helped you along the way on this journey that you'd like to share with our listeners. Interesting. Um, for me, it was actually visiting and seeing them. It's really hard to get an idea of not only what you want in a tiny house, but what it looks like, how it connects to really understand it until you've at least seen one and hopefully stayed in one. So going, depending on where you live, either to our site, to a builder, to caravan or we casa and actually seeing one and talking to the owners is huge because you learn so much from other people's mistakes. There's no reason not to, um, get an idea of what you like and what you don't like. And so we function like a showroom for that. I think that was probably the the biggest learning experience. I mean, staying in a house, it looks gorgeous in pictures, but finding that the door is half the size of a standard door and you have to walk sideways to get into the bathroom, is that going to drive you nuts? You know, you're not going to really notice that or feel that from buying someone's plans. Um, you can buy the plans and I do think that's helpful. So that's one resource that we use Timbercraft plans for one of our builds Um, speaking to their owner at a jamboree and really meeting with different people. But I would say my biggest resource would be my township and meeting with them and trying to learn. I actually got my real estate license in order to do this and better understand zoning. So that was a huge resource for me to better understand 
what townships wanted, what code looked like, and then actually visiting a site. Even if it's just visiting a campground, everybody has campgrounds around them to see what the pedestal looks like, to see what kind of infrastructure you would need for your house if you're going to be on grid um, and better preparing for winters if that's something you're going to face and what, what your house will undergo. I mean, like I said, we have ants and things like that that it's hard to foresee or prepare for if you haven't visited one and learned what other people have gone through and, and how they prevent that kind of stuff. Definitely. Um, I've had, I, so I've been in my tiny house, uh, this will be my sixth winter and, uh, right around, well, in Vermont, it happens about a month earlier, but the ants and the mice come in when, as soon as it starts getting cold. And I found that I went through my whole build with steel wool and found, you know, just the tiniest little crack between where the drain pipe leaves the house. Like Mm -hmm. they get in through that. And I've actually... I'm actually really happy because this winter I have not had to set one mouse trap. We have had no mice. So wow. it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely hard to prevent, but it's a learning experience and figuring out how to do all that and, and better prepare so that, you know, guests aren't annoyed, but it also allows them to have the true experience because I'm sure you weren't really thinking about that in the excitement of designing and planning your home either. Not at all. So something to, to prepare for and to be better aware of if if nothing else yes well is there anything that i didn't ask you that you want to share with our audience we're definitely here as a resource if anyone has questions or concerns or you know anything going forward i'm happy to have them reach out to me and ask you know how we've done it our zoning officer is very willing to work with people um as far as questions of how to zone how to build all that good stuff so anything anyone may need i'm i'm here and you know, anything you may think of later, you're more than welcome to shoot me an email, but I don't, I can't think of anything that you forgot. Awesome. Well, Abby Hobson, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Abby Hobson for being a guest on the show. You can find the notes for this show, including the links to Tiny Estates and the other communities that Abby mentioned at thetinyhouse.net slash 034. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 034. And if you do want to leave the show a review, just head over to thetinyhouse.net slash review. You'll be directed to Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review the show. I really appreciate it. Well, that's all for now. I'm Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.